WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. In chemistry classes, we're used to thinking about measuring chemical reactions, but there are thousands of them constantly going on and even more in individual chemical compounds. For example, in the human body or the plants you even walk by on an evening stroll, for example. Today, we're here talking to Joshua Casti about his research. Hi, Joshua. Thanks for joining us today. Can you please tell us more about what you study? Absolutely, and thank you for that introduction. So yeah, I'm a fourth-year PhD candidate here at Michigan State University. I'm in the biochemistry and molecular biology, but I actually work across the road from the biochemistry building over in plant biology. And my research, the way I describe it, I say that I work on building metabolic models and metabolism is what you were alluding to earlier, right? The thousands of chemical reactions that are going on in our bodies, in plants and bacteria, every living thing, right? And it's this process by which we take up things from the environment, food, for example, and then convert that into the stuff that we build our bodies or, or plants or bacteria. And so it can be very useful to have a mathematical description of how that process is going along. So you're interested in modeling the metabolism of different biochemical reactions using math. What is the advantage of creating these mathematical models and how do they help inform our studies? There are a number of different reasons for engaging in this kind of research. One of the big ones nowadays is metabolic engineering or synthetic biology. So lots of people who would often call themselves like bioengineers have these research projects, many of them going on here at Michigan State University, that are dedicated to modifying a living organism to meet some demand that we have. So the most obvious example, and one that's going on a lot here at Michigan State, is modifying plants that can produce biofuels. So these are fuels that you can actually harvest from the plant and you can use that in place of traditional gasoline or other fossil fuels. A challenge that you're often faced when trying to use biofuels is that the plants don't actually make that much of the fuel. And so the natural question that lots of people have is, is there a way for me to modify this organism's metabolism so that it makes more of the stuff that I want? And similar to how a civil engineer has mathematical models of how bridges work so that when they build the bridge, they know exactly how it's going to behave. It can be very useful if you're trying to modify the metabolism of a living plant to have a mathematical description of all of those chemical reactions that are going on in its body. Fossil fuels, as the fossil part of the name suggests, are fuels that we're extracting out of the ground. And ultimately, these fossil fuels, for example, crude oil that you extract from an oil well, mostly plants, some animals as well, that died millions of years ago and then essentially got turned into this really carbon-rich fuel that can release a lot of energy when we burn it. Biofuels, on the other hand, are fuels that we're deriving, producing them typically from plants that we're just growing out in a field. So if you think of camelina sativa, which is an oil crop that MSU is very interested in, you grow this on some kind of marginal farmland. And then once the seeds have matured, you're actually able to press oil out of those seeds, similar to vegetable oil you might use when you're cooking. But through some processes, you can actually make that into a fuel that you could run a combustion engine on a car with or even a jet engine on a plane. 
So this begs the question, if you're getting the oil from the seeds, where does metabolism play a role in here? Is there metabolism that goes on when a sea is growing? What does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. So seeds are the way that the plant carries on the next generation. And what plants do is they spend the first part of their life after they come out of the ground gathering light and carbon dioxide to carry out photosynthesis. And photosynthesis is this process where they take energy from light and carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and they kind of build more plant matter. And then at a certain point in the plant's life, it'll shift to then redirect those resources that it's accumulating and it'll kind of invest that in the seeds that it's producing. And hopefully what that means is that when it disperses those seeds, you can imagine, you know, a bird comes and eats the seeds and then drops them somewhere else. There's enough energy and resources invested in those seeds so they're able to successfully germinate somewhere else. So when we're thinking of improving yield by modifying metabolism, what that really means is kind of rewiring the plant in some way to, for example, make it invest more of its resources into oil production in those seeds than it normally would in its kind of natural state. So from what I understand, these mathematical models are helping you improve the efficiency of the yield of the biofuels. However, how are you altering the metabolism of these seeds and these plants? I'm going to give an example, just because it's the one that's off the top of my mind, from bacteria instead. I think that'll be a little bit easier to understand. But really what these metabolic modeling exercises give us is, one, a description of what's going on in the metabolism in the organism already. And then sometimes you can use these models to generate predictions on how you might be able to change metabolism in order to accomplish your goal. Now, the way that we can make that change, right, if we've identified a target, the target will typically be a particular chemical reaction or a set of reactions in the organism. So to return to the oil example, you might find that there are some chemical reactions going on in the plant seed that are actually using the oil that it's accumulating to do some other process that you're really not interested in. And so a possible intervention or modification you might make would be to eliminate or drastically reduce the rate of those chemical reactions in order to redirect that matter and energy back towards the oil. Functionally, how that'll work is it will involve usually removing, sometimes adding genes to the plant's genome. So you'll make a modification such that the enzyme, and enzymes are basically these little protein machines that plants and other living organisms use to carry out chemical reactions. So your modification might be removing or kind of breaking the enzyme that does the reaction you don't want so that it's not expending its energy there anymore. As a physicist, one of the things that we care about is the time about when certain events are taking place. One thing that I have to imagine when it comes to this metabolic process is finding that point of which the maximum amount of oil is produced without it actually being reduced by other forms of chemical reactions that you were talking about. In your metabolic models, how do you actually pinpoint when is that optimal time? Is there a window of time that exists or do you use an approximation? a little bit of an open area of research, I would say, 
in metabolic modeling. So at present, typically when we build a metabolic model and that, for example, in a journal article or something, we'll really narrowly focus in on a specific point of time where it's readily possible for us to make what we would call a flux map. Flux here just means the rate of a chemical reaction. And the flux map, the best analogy might be, it kind of looks like a traffic heat map. You might have a map of all the roads in Manhattan, and then the traffic map shows you where is there a lot of activity and not very much activity. But that traffic heat map only makes sense if you say this is at, you know, midnight on Tuesday, this is rush hour on Wednesday, etc., etc. You need to pinpoint when that is. Now, one of the challenges with metabolic modeling is that oftentimes it's easiest for us to generate these flux maps for example, kind of the middle period of growth of a crop. And that's not necessarily going to reflect what the flux map will look like, you know, two days before you harvest the seed. And so we do sometimes have to make some assumptions about whether or not the flux map is going to look really similar when we actually care about things. And there are obviously challenges associated with generating a model in the first place and then understanding how well it does or does not apply to kind of an industrial use case, on the other hand. In your mathematical models, are you considering the time of year and the location of these seed growths? For example, are you only considering it Michigan in the spring, or can it be annual and grown, for example, even in the south? Yeah, that's a really good question because, for example, for Camelina sativa, there are different varieties of land with different seasonal growth patterns. Currently, the measurements that we're planning on using for modeling Camelina are under laboratory conditions for, I believe it's the winter Camelina variety. Some properties that you would, or some conclusions you would draw from a flux map, just based on your biochemical knowledge of the stem, you would believe to generalize pretty well across all members of that species, but certainly there'll be other phenomena that may differ from variety to variety and may affect whether if, for example, you identified a change that you should make for this type of camelina plant, whether that would be useful in other types, right? That can be difficult to tell sometimes, but that's a great question. It sounds like a lot of this work that you're doing is computationally based. How do you actually model the oil production in the seeds Are there individual seeds being virtually created and then you look at the different rates that the metabolic processes are taking place at? Or are you doing things such as altering the genetics of the seeds and seeing how that optimizes the production of this particular oil? Metabolic modeling is sort of a blanket term, and one of the kind of unique things about the work that I've done here at MSU is that I've done a wide variety of different types of modeling. So just to quickly go over what that looks like in terms of, you know, what am I actually doing when I'm talking about building these mathematical models? I think the easiest ones to understand, especially for some people who may be thinking of this more from like a physics perspective, is you can actually build these simulations where you have your chemical compounds, sort of concentrations of these different chemical compounds, and they're being modified, you know, every second or whatever time step you want to use. Um, 
by the enzymes and other and chemical reactions that kind of describe the system you're looking at, right? So you might, in a really simple case, have a model where the enzyme is and some of its characteristics that carries out the last step of lipid biosynthesis. And then by taking measurements of what we would call a substrate, so that's the chemical compound that's then made into something else. If you have measurements of the concentrations of those substrates, you'd be able to have an idea of what the concentration of the product that you care about would be later on. And the complicated mathematical modeling comes in when you are not looking at a single reaction like I just described, but rather maybe a network of 50 different reactions that are relevant to this process. And so you're looking at the dynamics of how the levels of all of these different chemicals are going up and down and what the final result will be. Other methods that I use more actually in my research are uh, the jargony term for it is constraint-based methods, but these are basically methods where you are ignoring the time aspect of it and just looking at what the final result will be. And there are a few different assumptions that go into that that I won't go into. These methods then can be broken down into metabolic models that are just describing what's going on in your organism of interest, and then metabolic models that are predicting what will happen when you make some kind of modification. So metabolic flux analysis is the method we use to just describe what's happening, for example, in a Molina plant. And to do this, you actually introduce either radioactive or stable isotopes. Isotopes are versions of a chemical element that have that are heavier or lighter than the kind of standard version of it. So what you can do for a plant, for example, is give it two where the carbon is a little bit heavier than the normal carbon you find in the atmosphere. And then we can use lots of biochemical measurement techniques to trace the way that this heavy CO2 ends up moving through the plant. By measuring tons and tons of different metabolites, you're able to form a picture of how fast and how slow all of the different processes are in that particular plant during that experiment. The other method that I use that's more predictive that can be used to, for example, identify a genetic change you would want to make, it's called flux balance analysis. Just a fun fact about this method, it's essentially the same as the method that people in, I believe it's called operations research, do when they're trying to optimize production from, say, a factory. So it's the same as this operations research method where you're able to say, given that it costs me this much to use this machine for this amount of time, and this is how much the raw materials cost, given all of these different factors that influence this process, how can I set up my factory to make as much of this computer part, let's say, as possible? And you can kind of use that form of modeling analogously for a living organism to ask, okay, well, if it wanted to make as much oil as possible, how would it do that? And how is that different from what it's currently doing, which is information I get from the metabolic flux analysis that I mentioned earlier? So I think we all have a pretty good idea now about what you do and why you do it. For example, you were trying to create a biofuel as effectively as possible, and you are modeling this through a computer so that you can make sure that you are having the best output for these biofuels. Now that you've been doing this, do you have any results that you would like to tell us about? For example, have you been able to create biofuel more effectively? So I haven't been able to make biofuel more effectively yet, but I think we are making some progress towards that. 
So the work that I've been doing here at MSU to this point has focused a lot on trying to make the model as robust and predictive as possible. I'm very, uh, one might even say I'm kind of hung up on making sure that the accuracy of our predictions is as good as possible before trying to make any proclamations about what changes that bioengineers should, for example, make to these systems. So one of the projects that I've worked on for quite a while and that we're pretty close to publishing at this point um, is a method that I developed where we use gene expression data. So this is the amount of RNA or in some cases, the amount of protein related to the various chemical reactions that we're interested in. We use that data and feed it into our kind of metabolic modeling pipeline, and we see if we're able to improve the quality of our predictions. And so in that case, what we're doing is we're using both metabolic flux analysis, which gives us sort of our ground truth for what we think is happening. And we see if adding that gene expression data to our flux balance analysis, which is that more predictive technique I mentioned earlier, if that kind of brings those two techniques into agreement with each other, because it's been a longstanding issue that you can get very different results when you use these two different techniques. So that's something that we've shown is pretty successful and that we're hoping as we transition into the actually trying to explicitly model camelina sativa and make it do oil production better, we're hoping that the technique that we just developed will make the insights that we have more reproducible and more useful for people doing bioengineering. Well, congratulations on developing this new method. I have to ask, though, has this metabolic model been confirmed? with any sort of experimental data from the field. In this case, the validation of the model was done by comparison to the metabolic flux analysis. As I mentioned earlier, the metabolic flux analysis itself is also a model. It's like turtles all the way down. It's models all the way down. So I think a natural next question then would be, you know, how much do you trust the metabolic flux analysis and is it a little bit circular to say that the flux balance analysis is working well because it matches up with that? And you'll be unsurprised to hear that the way I confirmed that the metabolic flux analysis was looking reasonable was by using another model or another modeling method. But the metabolic flux analysis and the other modeling technique that I used are interpreted in this area of biochemistry to be pretty reliable. The problem with them is that they're extremely data intensive in contrast to something like flux balance analysis. So I would say the confirmation of the method that I just described came in the form of comparing it against that metabolic flux analysis. And we're pretty confident in that because there's so much input data that goes into it. So it's difficult to be very wrong with it, even though there's obviously always room for a little bit of error. Well, Joshua, thank you so much for talking to us about your amazing and exciting research. I can't wait to hear about whenever you're able to effectively create these biofuels and have a larger output. Thank you for having me on. And I always love an opportunity to tell people about metabolic modeling because I realize it's a slightly obscure area of research, but I think it's one that when people start hearing about it, they usually become pretty interested. So thank you so much. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. To hear more about us and learn more about our episodes, check out scifiles.org. If you're a current MSU student that would like to be interviewed, please reach out to us at scifiles at impact89fm.org. 
We'll catch you next week on The Sci-Files, and remember, the truth is in the science.